are entering the Freedom Hut. Today we commemorate 9-11, my friends, a day that changed all of our lives in countless ways. We will look at where we have come to this point and where we're going in the future. We'll discuss how this affects our foreign policy and domestic politics today. We'll also dive into all the latest headlines and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Courage and strength answered amid the fire and smoke in New York City over a Pennsylvania meadow and in this very building as innocent people from 91 countries were murdered on our soil. We remember the bravery and sacrifice of those who fell here in America and then on far-flung battlefields. We salute the soldiers, sailors, airmen, Coast Guardsmen and Marines who nailed our colors to the mast, giving their last full measure of devotion, declaring proudly that Americans do not scare. And we followed to the end of the earth those who sought to break our spirit. Together with the families of the fallen, we remember all that is good, all that is true, and all that is beautiful about those we have lost. Today, all of America wraps up and joins together. We close our arms to help you shoulder your pain and to carry your great, great sorrow. Your tears are not shed alone, for they are shared grief with an entire nation. We grieve together for every mother and father, sister and brother, son and daughter, who was stolen from us at the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and here in this Pennsylvania field. We honor their sacrifice by pledging to never flinch in the face of evil and to do whatever it takes to keep America safe. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. 9-11 anniversary today. I know that this uh, affects all of us. This is something that we all remember, um, and it, it changed the world. When we look at where we are now versus where we were then, uh, it was an uncertain thing, my friends, in, in those hours after the, the towers got hit. Uh, we did not know how many wars we would have to fight. We did not know how many more attacks were coming, perhaps imminent attacks, uh, just a matter of hours away. And it was uh, a wake-up for many of us that we have enemies, uh, that we have people who have embraced ideologies around the globe of of hatred and destruction. And it is, in fact, true that there are people who hate us for who we are. And yes, a part of that is our freedom. There are people who hate us for our way of life and our role in the world and how we view ourselves in terms of human progress and development. I mean, the, the role that America plays. Um, and, and while we had uh, many difficult years ahead in counterterrorism operations, Iraq, Afghanistan, two countries uh, where you know the greatest honor of my life to this day was showing up and trying to do some small part to help 
as a civilian to help the United States military in their mission, taking the fight to Al-Qaeda in Iraq, taking the fight to Al-Qaeda in uh, South Asia and the Taliban and all of their affiliates and Shia militias in Iraq and all the rest of it. Uh, We also saw much of what was best and strongest in America after that period. I mean, you know, my generation, as much as we get a hard time and people make a lot of jokes about millennials. Look, I make jokes about millennials. Uh, but my generation and those who are you know, 20 years older than me and you know, a decade younger than me, uh, so many of them showed up and answered the call. Uh, so many of them were incredibly brave and many thousands of them laid down their lives for this country as a result of what happened on 9-11. So uh, I, I will talk to you a bit more about it during this hour, Some, just some uh, memories that come back. Uh, one of them is just walking around the streets of Manhattan, uh, where I'm from, and of course where the, where the towers were, uh, and seeing all the American flags everywhere afterwards. And it was such a reminder for all of us of what uh, what is at stake? And these slogans, these things you hear when people say things like freedom isn't free and you know, we, we, we need uh, rough men who stand ready at night to do violence on our behalf so we sleep soundly. I mean, all these things that you might hear growing up, it, it, it brought that all together in a way that you, you had to take notice. Uh, it certainly changed my life. And uh, it's the only Without 9-11, I don't go to the CIA. And I know for so many of you listening, without 9-11, you didn't do three combat tours in Afghanistan and two in Iraq. And, you know, who knows where else you've you've been sent in the defense of this country. Uh, but it's also a day today when I think we should note that, you know, we have managed to suppress, not to defeat or annihilate, but to suppress the jihadist menace. The global jihad is a... a small piece of what it once was. And and Al-Qaeda certainly is greatly diminished from what it was. And that is because of all those efforts. You know, it's a it's a multi-decade struggle that we are engaged in. But if you were to look at our fight against radical Islam right now, you would have to say that we are winning. We have not won. It is not over. And there can be a reversal in this whole in this whole battle. But we are we are winning. And I don't think people hear that enough. I don't think those who served and those who have come back and, and veterans uh, get told that enough that, you know, the reason we don't have more planes flying into buildings is because of the efforts of people uh, for this country and in the defense of this country. So I'll have some more on 9-11 and just the, the differing philosophy that exists in the fight against radical Islam between, say, Trump and Barack Obama before him. And we'll also discuss uh, whether the International Criminal Court is going to get any jurisdiction over our soldiers. That will be coming up later on in this hour. And uh, then we'll get into some more news of the day, the latest on the machinations of the deep state. And uh, the big news coming up on that, by the way. I'll I'll give you a preview of it in the next hour, but there's going to be a pretty big revelation from what I'm told here. My sources are telling me we're going to find out a whole lot about how deep the, the deep state targeting really was. Uh, and, and just one note here, uh, some breaking news right as I came on air, that Trump is going to order sanctions on, he's going he's to create an executive order and sign it that allows sanctions on foreigners who meddle in U.S. elections. So going to make sure that 
You know, there there's even greater tools at the federal government's disposal for punishing election meddling and hopefully start to push back on this lie that, you know, Trump doesn't care about election meddling or that there's it is of no interest to him or even he was supportive of it. That's what you'll hear from Democrats. So that's some breaking news. Trump is taking action to allow sanctioning of foreigners for election meddling. Let's talk about Obama's view of radical Islam and how that factors into the fight we're talking about today with 9-11 when we come back. As a Gold Star mother, my son gave his life for acts of terrorism. Um, do you still believe that the acts of terrorism are done with a self-proclaimed Islamic religious motives? And if you do, why do you still refuse to use the term racially, I'm sorry, Islamic terrorist? What I have been careful about when I describe these issues is to make sure that we do not lump these murderers into the billion Muslims that exist around the world, including in this country, who are peaceful, who are responsible, uh, who in this country are our fellow troops and police officers and firefighters and teachers and neighbors and friends. And what I learned from listening to some of these Muslim families, both in the United States and overseas, is that when you start calling these organizations Islamic terrorists, the way it's heard, the way it's received, by our friends and allies around the world is that somehow Islam is terroristic. And that then makes them feel as if they're under attack. In some cases, it makes it harder for us to get their cooperation in fighting terrorism. So, so we're getting a very long answer here from the former president on his thinking, which is not new and, and has not changed, on why he will not say radical Islam or Islamic terrorism. And uh, th this became kind of doctrine liberalism. Uh, this became doctrinaire on the left that you don't say radical Islam or Islamic terrorism because, one, it, it hurts our allies. And, and I always say to this, what kind of ally do we have really with anybody if us describing an organization as it describes itself is somehow an affront to them you know as we're, as we're here on 9/11 and and thinking about our counterterrorism and just general security and military uh partnerships all over the world but particularly in the Islamic world it's, it's worth noting that you know, most the, the majority of casualties from these heinous terrorist acts is is actually Muslims, and so I don't think that anyone that we would consider to be a a good person and an ally in this, which is a lot of folks all over the Muslim world, uh, would be put off by a saying the Islamic State because that's what the Islamic State calls itself. That that is the name. You know, we can call them something else if we want, maybe something that's a, a pejorative or, uh, but but this tendency to play games with language instead of facing up to the reality is very common with liberals. This is why you see them always or with, with the left, with progressives. Some of you have taken issue recently with me saying liberal more frequently 
it's a useful shorthand. It's it's such a common shorthand for the left that I end up using it sometimes too. But trust me, I years ago on this show I used to say that I I think that liberal is an intentional misnomer, and that the people who want to be called liberals who call themselves liberals are in fact leftists and statists and really have an authoritarian streak within uh you know anti anti traditional religion uh very militant secularist view of life and and that's you know that that the the notion of liberals as anything based in liberty is is wrong headed but uh, i i digress on that one uh, Obama's just wrong on this whole notion of radical Islam. And I think that it was always a problem as well for every time that they can say, oh, well, we didn't want to upset some of our allies. I would always say, well, what about the moderates that we always talk about? What about the run of the mill Muslims who would say that their religion has been hijacked in many cases by terrorists? So hijacked seems like a, an appropriate term hijacked by these radicals and these and these extremists and used in, in terrible ways that they disagree with. It sounds to me like when we won't refer to them the way that they refer to themselves, meaning we won't refer to these groups as they are in fact named, uh, that it shows a degree of weakness. That it shows that we aren't willing to call out this evil for, for what it is. We have to find euphemisms and other names for it. So now, I know there's there's different schools of thought on this one, but I also think that Obama, well, well, he was not a he was not a secret Muslim, and people have gotten a lot of emails. No, he was not. Uh, I believe Obama is a secularist. I believe he is uh, an atheist, actually, and that you know. Now I don't know. I just base it on his policies, and you know, I, I don't know the man personally, so this isn't like I have some inside information on it. But I, I do believe that he views religion much more as a political means to an end and maybe as community building in the early stage of his career as a politician instead of something that he you know fervently believes in. You know, I, I don't believe, for example, that you can be a Christian and be uh, be one of these radical pro-choice leftists like in the in the Nancy Pelosi mold. I, I just don't believe that. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, people can argue with me as much as they want. Um, but, you know, Obama uh, is somebody who, on on a whole bunch of issues, has shown a hostility toward religion, whether it's suing the Little Sisters of the Poor when you know he was implementing the monstrosity known as Obamacare, uh, but also on the issue of Islam, there was clearly an affinity. I mean, he he did have some special place in his heart, and he lived in Indonesia for a number of years as a youth, and that's not controversial or anything. That's that's stated fact and we all know it it's in his biographies uh, but he lived in Indonesia for a number of years and and I do think that he developed a an affinity for Islam and, and it's interesting that he lived in Indonesia which has traditionally been a place held up by the left in this country as see you can have a pluralistic and peaceful but actually things in Indonesia in some places are going going in the wrong direction right now on the whole radicalism and, and jihadism thing uh, but it was just strategically wrong and it was a bad uh it was a bad look it was a it was bad thought process everything about obama's approach to this stuff i I just think i think it was just wrong 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 when it came to dealing with uh radical islam and it started with an inability or an unwillingness to say radical islam i have also always thought by the way that there was a a kind of 
uh, what's the uh, a a a showiness, uh, a, a kind of pedantic thing that Obama always had that I do not miss that we're not subjected to this anymore, where he he wanted he, he wanted to always be signaling to people that thought of themselves as really well informed as you know I'm one of I'm one of you in how he would talk about these issues, literally how he would talk about it, meaning the words and the pronunciations, which is why he would say uh, Pakistan and Taliban and, and had this affect when he would speak about some of these. It wasn't an accent. It was an affect. It was he's, he thinks that this is how, uh, you know, it's like somebody who's not a Spanish speaker who whenever they see a Spanish name likes to really just lean in Martinez. It's like, no, you can just say Martinez. You know, you don't have to get Martinez. Martinez, you know, you say if you're a Spanish speaker, say whatever you want. But I'm just saying, you know, some some liberal Americans see a Latin name and they over enunciate it because because they think that that's a, a signaling mechanism for how sophisticated they are. I think Obama would do that with some of the discussions about terrorism, radical Islam, trying to show. It's also why I would note this. Uh, you know, they were the only ones. The only ones, and it went away. And I used to make fun of friends of mine in the administration. They would say ISIL because Obama going ISIL. No, it's ISIL. ISIL. And everyone else was saying ISIS. And you'll notice that it, it did not last beyond Obama's time in office because they said ISIL because they thought that that's, it sounded fancy. It's the Levant. It's the more accurate version of it. No, it's not. It was just kind of annoying. Uh, I want to hear from... America's mayor here in just a moment. I want to hear from Rudolph Giuliani himself. I mean, he's not calling in. We've got some. I wish. We'll have him call in another time. He's called in. I think we've had him on the show before. I've had him on other shows before. Uh, he, he, but I, I want to hear from him on, on 9-11 and get his sense of things. And then I'll tell you a little bit about what I remember from that day. And um, We'll move on into the second hour. I've got an editorial that I need to tear apart with you. Uh, we've got Sean Parnell joining the show. It'll be a great conversation. I'm also going to talk to you about the uh, Jack Ryan Amazon, which I just happened to watch it this week. I know it's 9-11. They talk a lot about 9-11 in the show. The Jack Ryan Amazon series, which I watched in full. I'll give you my uh, my entire review of that coming up in the uh, third hour of the show tonight. And so we've got that and more coming up. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. First couple of days were just gruesome. Uh, the realization that we lost that many people, the realization we weren't going to discover bodies, which that... Well, everyone in the hospital waiting that for... That was the- a shock. That was an absolute shock to me. Um, I, thought, I thought the first day we were going to save a lot of people. I mean, we ended up saving whatever we saved in those first couple of hours. That was it. Uh, but the people coming forward throughout the United States, throughout the world, that is a particularly memorable experience that, that you're talking about because it was kids. But it happened with firefighters from Chicago and Philadelphia and Florida and Texas. It happened with uh, uh, school, school classes all over the country. It happened with a bunch of Canadians, 25,000 coming to New York in, in November. Uh, Canada to New York. Canada to help New York. Um, so that, that got you through. That said to you, oh my gosh, we have a whole country behind us, if not a lot of decent people throughout the world. It was that... that- coming together of of so many different people from all over the world as, as a result of 9-11 that I think is one of the, the great um, positive after effects. It didn't last forever, and it wasn't certainly everyone. There, there were people as heinous as it is to even just have to repeat this. There were people who were celebrating, as you know, on 9-11. Um, and, and I actually have been told stories from friends of mine in foreign countries that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Brazil, 
I had a friend in Brazil who said people were cheering and celebrating on 9-11. I had a friend in Egypt who said people were cheering and celebrating on 9-11. I mean, I've had friends that, you know, they've... uh, this this somehow didn't really you know there's the stories about the kids in in the west bank who were given candy i think they said to to celebrate in front of cameras or something but it was it was not a completely uh isolated incident to see people that were cheering but anyway mo- most of the world came together and it was an instance of us all seeing or or for once at least taking a step back to to remember that america is a true global superpower in the sense that the world is a better place with America as it is. And and I do think that somewhere in the minds of a lot of folks who uh, were expressing their their sympathy for what had happened to us and, and those who felt like an attack on America was really a t- an attack on civilization, which is what it was. This was, 9-11 was an attack on civilization. Uh, that's because they realize that we are in the vanguard of civilization, that we make the world a better, safer, uh, more advanced, more just, uh, honestly, more joyful place. And that is that is America's role on this planet. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we do that all the time. I'm not saying we're the only ones. But there is something very special about this nation, and that specialness for a moment wasn't called into question, but it was threatened to uh, be extinguished. Because, uh, you know, it, it, this is one of the big things when you go back and do an, an, any any remembrance of what it was like in 9-11. We didn't know how many planes. We didn't know how many other plots. We didn't know what else was was in the works. Uh, I, I remember I was walking to my Shakespeare class with a professor, Sofield, uh, and I was groggy. I was really uh, tired and somewhat out of it. And I will tell you this, I don't think I ever mentioned this before on the show. And this was, I, I had a, I was taking Arabic at the time. I just started, I was in, I think, my second week of Arabic class when 9-11 happened. Uh, and, and I had this day, and it was the day before 9-11, when I had gotten up, and for some reason I had thought that I had missed class and I had missed a quiz and I got up and ran. Now, why would I even have a quiz so soon in the semester? I mean, it wasn't, I'm not saying it was It was rational. It was, it was essentially a dream. But I got up and I ran across campus at 6 o'clock or something like that in the morning. It was very, which for a college kid is, you know, no one's up at 6 o'clock. I mean, I rode crew. And other than that, we never got up early. Uh, but I ran across the campus and got to an empty classroom and realized the whole campus was asleep. Now, that that's it's nothing I know, and I'm not saying, but it was the day before the 9-11 attack, and there's always been this part of me that felt like there was something that was coming. There was something that was going to happen, and I'm sure other people have their own. And, you know, that might be my mind playing tricks on me that in retrospect, you know, you have, you know, it's easy to look at any little thing once you know how a story ends and say, oh, well, that... You know, that was a signpost for that other thing. But I just always remember that. I remember it was the only time it ever happened to me in all four years of, of being a college student that I woke up without an alarm, ran across the campus and thought that something, you know, thought that I had I'd missed class and I was in this kind of panic. And it turned out that I just I had uh, gotten up really early and had a weird dream. Uh, and I remember the next day on on 9-11 um, going into the classroom 
and being told to turn around and 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 go back because we were going to cancel class because a plane had hit one of the World Trade Center buildings. And I, as everybody, everyone who heard that had the same, or not everybody, but everyone that I can think of um, who has told their version of what it was like that day for them had the same thought, which was, you know, a prop plane, maybe two or three people killed, which is a tragedy for them and their families. But uh, it had it had certainly not occurred to any of us, although I, I had read the uh, the book State of Fear in which Michael Crichton, whom I mentioned yesterday, uh, has a kind of kamikaze uh, revenge plot where the Japanese to get revenge for Japanese uh, ultra-nationalists to get revenge for World War II fly a plane, a like a Boeing 747, into the, into the Congress with a joint session of Congress going on. Uh, so that, that it wasn't unthought of that somebody could use uh, or, you know, it wasn't beyond anyone's imagination that somebody could use a plane as a missile like that. But I remember uh, I was one of the few people on my floor who had a TV because we were sophomores in college. And I uh, turned on the cable box and, and sat there watching it. And people congregated in my room. So it was right after that. You know, I still to this day don't really understand how the professor knew that it was serious enough that he should cancel class. I, I suppose, uh, I, I guess people were rattled. Look, the World Trade Center had been bombed years before, maybe. But I remember walking back to my room thinking that this was not going to be, uh, this was not some huge deal. It was a, maybe a tragedy, but it wasn't. I had no idea that it was a mass casualty terror attack that would change not just the trajectory of the country and the world, but my life. I never thought of going to the CIA until after 9-11. I mean, that was just not something I would have considered. I was, I'll be honest with you, I was trying to head straight to Wall Street. I wanted to have a, a comfortable life where I would be rewarded as, as best as I could get rewarded for, you know, my, my work in the, in the, well, in the office. Um, and after 9-11, I, I made a, a, a lifestyle change or two so that I would be a very attractive candidate for the CIA and it was the first job I applied for my senior year, all on my own. I mean, my parents have no government connection, or no, you know, I, my, neither of my parents was in the military uh, or in the intelligence community. So it just all came to me that this is what I wanted to do. So I mean, nine eleven that that is a day that changed so many lives, changed my life for sure. But I remember going back and and watching the uh, the gaping hole inside of the building, and then also seeing that second plane hit uh, and that was that's just one of those moments it's one of those moments you will absolutely never forget I I, um, I remember it very clearly that part of it and I remember I turned to some of my friends in the room and I said oh, oh my oh my god we're we're going to war um, and this is you know I didn't know anything about bin Laden or anything I mean I didn't know any of this stuff I just knew that this that when you were attacked in that way that there was going to be a a serious uh and prolonged military response as as we know there was. So it changed the world folks, it changed our our whole our whole way of thinking and it is really the most single formative event which is is uh Saying a lot, considering we almost had a Great Depression just a few years ago, but it, it is the most single uh, formative event in in geopolitics in my lifetime, and I think that that's 
uh, or certainly in my adult lifetime. People might say the fall of the uh, the fall of the wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union would be right up there, which I think, yes, that's that's certainly true. Um, but that had been coming a long time. So I think there was more of an ability to psychologically pivot to it. Uh, 9-11, we, th- we went to bed the night before thinking that America, the Pax Americana, would continue forever and we were just going to get richer and happier and everything was going to be great. And then 24 hours later, we realized we have some really serious enemies and we're going to have to take the fight to them. And a lot of you listening, I know, ended up in Iraq and Afghanistan. I never would have thought, but I ended up there. So that's what happened. The United States will use any means necessary to protect our citizens and those of our allies from unjust prosecution by this illegitimate court. We will not cooperate with the ICC. We will let the ICC die on its own. After all, for all intents and purposes, the ICC is already dead to us. The ICC prosecutor has requested to investigate these Americans for alleged detainee abuse, an utterly unfounded, unjustifiable investigation. Folks, isn't it great to have an administration that doesn't think that foreign countries and foreign entities should have the right to nullify U.S. sovereignty? Isn't it great to have an administration, to have a White House, a president, uh, and, and president's top national security advisors, like Ambassador Bolton there, or now National Security Advisor Bolton, who just say, you know what, no, no. We've seen the ridiculousness that is the UN. We, we've seen this notion play out that all countries are roughly equivalent, that all countries should have a somewhat equal say or close to it. And I'm sorry, but we don't really care what the rest of the world thinks about a whole lot of things. And we certainly should not care. And this is one of these ideological dividing lines between Democrats and Republicans. We certainly don't care about a court constituted in 2002 at The Hague that's supposed to investigate and prosecute war crimes that we are not a signatory to. We're, we we do not recognize it. We're not saying, yeah, that's how we're going to do things. Because, you know, folks, the, the reality of what would happen here is that you would have countries that, uh, you know, we have to operate in for any of our any any military covert actions that take place, any uh, black ops that go down, any number of things. Never mind. Also, the more uh, open operations that are ongoing places like Iraq and Afghanistan where I know we have agreements with the host countries, but you know there, there's always this possibility that a new government will come in or there'll be some push for us to hand over to the International Criminal Court Americans. And, you know, we we police our own. And you know, this is where you get into the whole, well, that sounds like something Vladimir Putin would say, right? You get these internationalists, these self-righteous leftists who immediately take this pose and take this position of, Oh, well, you know, you want other countries to be subject to international law, but not America. And to that, I say, no, no, we're saying that our military will not be subject to foreign entities. We hold our own military subject to U.S. law, which is much more just and comprehensive than any international law and is also our right as a sovereign nation. And they will say, well, Buck, again, this is where you could have. You know, the Russians or the Iranians or any number of different countries who would say, well, we would do that, too. And our response to that is, sorry, 
this is the UN thinking that the left has that comes back and, and we don't accept it. We are not on our government, despite all of its flaws and problems, are not on an equivalent moral plane to the Russians. We're not on an equivalent equivalent moral plane, quite honestly, to a lot of Muslim majority countries. Uh, we're certainly not on the same moral plane as any of our uh, opposition countries around the world, any of our, our enemies or near and close to being enemies. Uh, and that's why I think that that Bolton just drawing a firm line here. It's absolutely the move. Absolutely what should happen. And I, I just have to note that, you know, with, with Obama, yes, I know we didn't become a signatory under Obama, but there was always this desire to placate international opinion. You know, Obama always had this idea that we need to be concerned with what the editorial team at The Guardian, you know, the British paper has to say about something. I don't care. I just don't. And I don't want my elected representatives to care. When it comes to international relations, I care about two things that our government's involved in, really. I care about trade and I care about keeping us safe. That's it. Beyond that, it's mostly it's really details. Uh, sure, democracy promotion and trying to do, you know, good things, human rights, clean water in countries. Of, you know, we, we can do all that stuff, but that's never what's that's never what's at issue. The problem comes up when all of a sudden you have this Obamaist uh, position on international institutions that we should allow other countries to have a say in our affairs. And I mean, the idea that we who would enforce that, by the way? You know, they're going to put out, what, an, an arrest warrant for one of our soldiers or one of our generals? How how long do we think it would be before a dream of many liberals would occur where you have, for example, you know, Dick Cheney being prosecuted for war crimes in The Hague, as some liberals expressed at the time that, that that's their desire? You know, we're going to hand over a former U.S. premier, former U.S. president. No, we, we have our own court processes. You know, anybody who violates... Rules of engagement or violates the Uniform Code of Military Justice uh, can be held and is is held accountable under our laws, and we're not we're not going to surrender that sovereignty to anybody. So I, I really think that that uh, you know Bolton took the right step today. It's good to see, and it's just a reminder of why I'm so happy that we have Trump and Trump's people calling the shots instead of what we had before, because it, it was it was always so honestly depressing to hear American leadership that was acting like they should be at the at the beck and call of the so-called international community. I mean, what is international opinion? People talk about this like it's a thing, like they're polling all over the world. I mean, when we say international opinion, what we really tend to mean is, you know, the primary, the, the uh, opinion that we have a sense of from major media outlets in industrialized and and western countries uh and that's kind of it that that's international international opinion you know I, I think most folks whether it's in argentina or botswana or uh myanmar are of the mind that they'd rather just worry about their own stuff and they don't have too much in the way of opinions on what america's doing and 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 vice versa babe you know that's the way we feel too so good job for bolton well done today another Good issue for the Trump administration. Well, I think they came down the right side of things. I want to talk to you about the uh, the dumbest editorial that I read today. The stupidest one, courtesy of Joe Scarborough. That's coming up. 
Do you have opinions that you feel like you can't express? I think we all do. Are you looking for a place to stir up some conversations? Let your thoughts and your opinions be heard. I want to introduce you to an alternative social media site, Snippy.com. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without any suppression from administrators. Check in for a quick update about current events or spend hours scrolling through users' posts. Write your thoughts and strike up conversations. Snippy's founders have intentionally created a forum where anyone can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. It's a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters, and it's totally free. Go to snippy.com now to express yourself. No shadow banning, no character limit, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Check out the website at snippy.com or download the app. No censorship, no agenda. Join snippy.com to get the discussion rolling. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The retweeting of neo-Nazi videos. Charlottesville. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. What he said about uh, majority black countries, um, that is tearing more at the fabric of America than attacks on the Twin Towers did. We rebuilt from that. We became stronger because of that. Uh, but this is, seems to me a far graver, graver threat to the idea of America. That's multimillionaire pundit at MSNBC, Joe Scarborough. In reference to a column that was published in the on the Washington Post, and they should be ashamed, but they have no shame. I keep returning to this notion of, well, the left must finally have learned some kind of lesson here from just being grotesque. But no, no, they wallow in grotesque. They like it. They they like to just eliminate any sense of decency, fair play or honor in their dealings with the other side and their dealings with conservatives. That's they take a certain pleasure, I think in being as as underhanded and as as unfair as possible to to conservatives and to the right to Trump, obviously, Uh, this column that was written by Scarborough, which I mean, I would just note, first of all, it starts off. I mean, it starts off with with this. And this is always a bad sign. This is like somebody who's writing for their high school newspaper who's trying really hard to impress people. Here's here's how his column starts off. Cataclysmic events often bring with them violent and abrupt endings to settled ages and long established norms. Those absorbing the impact of these historical aftershocks rarely grasp the epochal changes in real time. Yeah, when huge things happen, people don't necessarily understand the full context of them when they happen. Thanks, Joe, for for the really bombastic and and pretty clownish opening of this editorial. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, 9-11 and World War II. And he talks about some of the greatest challenges, the greatest challenges in the history of this country, challenges that involved the threat of life and death to the United States, as well as uh, millions of its people. Right. I mean, to, to the end of us as a nation and the end of us individually as as human beings, depending on how it all went. And. I, I just can't help but but note that, you know, Scarborough has gotten crushed for this idiot editorial today because he says that that Trump 
is more dangerous to the fabric of America than bin Laden. Now, Joe Scarborough doesn't really know anything about terrorism or jihad or jihadism, right? He just knows what he has read here or there in the newspaper and what his research team tells him to say. And, you know, I'm sure he, he probably changes his position on jihadism the same way he did on Trump. That's why, I mean, Scarborough as the anti-Trumper is particularly self-serving and gross because when he thought that he was going to have this great relationship with Scar with with Trump and that it was going to advance advances already. I mean, Scarborough's advanced well beyond the wildest dreams of anybody that would look at him and say, yeah, that's a guy who should have his have his own. And I know some of you say, Buck, you know, don't you're, you sound like you're no, look, I'm, I'm trying to be honest with you. I mean, there are some people who are really, really good at what they do. If you want a a very leftist point of view, you know, Rachel Maddow show is a great place to go. I mean, she is she is good at what she does. I, I respect ability. I respect talent. I, I think Joe Scarborough just happens to have some of the right friends in the right places. I, I just I find nothing about him as a broadcaster or in any other respect impressive. Certainly not his writing. Uh, but he sat down to write this this editorial. And it's that's the thing. It's it's worse than a. An utterance, right? I mean, look, I, I do radio three hours a day. I say things sometimes I say, that's not really how I meant that. And while I'm pretty cautious or, or careful in, in not wildly overstating things or, or getting into a place where I'm going to have to say, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. You know, I know that it's going to happen. It's just the reality of my business. But an editorial is something else. I mean, to publish an opinion column in the Washington Post, if you're Scarborough, who is... From, ah, I won't get into that. I mean, I've I've heard things that he's not a particularly nice guy either, which I I just can't I can't drop that from my mind because I've heard it from people who who would know. But you know, maybe they just have some personal beef with him. I don't know. I've never met him. I've never interacted with him. Never worked with him. I'm just judging all basing all this <laughs> judging this uh, on his on his work. Uh, but he wrote this editorial and, and to con- convince or try to convince people that Trump is worse than 9/11 when it comes to an attack on the fabric of this country. This is something that only a person who is crazy or has Trump derangement syndrome could say. And that's why we call it a syndrome, because as I have told you, it is pathological. This is beyond just, you know, we don't agree on an issue of politics. You know, Joe Scarborough and I don't see this the same way. This is I I think that he would have a hard time accepting the reality of the, you know, the, the real implications of the words and the things that he's saying, because he's so wrapped up in this notion of Trump as an existential threat to the country. Existential threat. How, folks, you know, if Trump did any of these things that they say he's talked about or, you know, the, that the Woodward book, which I would note today, even more people, uh, what Rob Portman came out and uh, Mike, who was the other one? Rob Portman and someone else came out today to say that the Woodward book is not a fair representation of things that were said or meetings is not accurate. Uh, and, and Woodward has had plenty of problems in the past with, with people claiming that he's, you know, his, his ability to string together these events are, let's just say, que- it's questionable at times. It, it is certainly questionable. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I sit here and, and I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around why somebody like Joe Scarborough uh, would would say this and, and he must believe that Trump is on the on the precipice or, or Trump is is just a, a bad day away from starting a military conflict with North Korea, which is a, a stupid thing to believe. I mean, there's no real basis for this. 
And on top of that, I would offer to you that, yeah, then we would have a discussion about, you know, removing the president right then. I mean, if he did these things that they always say he's just about to do, well, then I think there could be a, a, a discussion about is this man fit to be president? But all we see is a president who's getting great results, who's implementing some very conservative policies, who is remaking the judiciary in a way that would make Scalia proud looking down from on high and, you know, goes after the media in a way that some find a little bit aggressive or vulgar or whatever. But I think it's great. I think the media needs to get slapped around a little bit by by the uh, the only person who can really do it right now is Trump. I mean, the only person who really gets their attention quite this way is, is Donald Trump. And and they act like that at any moment now there's going to be some crisis that uh, just unravels in front of us because Trump is, you know, not of sound mind. I, you know, and that's the, the great irony here, folks, is that I think that the people that think that Trump is crazy are the ones who are crazy. I think that the Joe Scarboroughs, have, I mean, Trump is living rent free in their heads, man. I mean, he's gotten so deep into their world. He has he has pushed so far into, you know, how they view themselves and how they view their role in America that they're they've lost it. They've lost it because this editorial, this is this is sheer idiocy. This is not this is not a, an easy mistake that anybody could make. This is not some one off. It's not. Oh, well, you know. No big deal, man. Like, I just thought we would, you know, talk about something and I, I got a little bit messed up or I got a little ahead of myself. No, this is an editorial submitted to the Washington Post where a prominent cable news, so-called conservative, by the way, is saying that Trump is a greater danger to the fabric of him. Now, I know he'd say, well, the fabric of America is more about ideas. and But, you know, as we've been discussing, I mean, 9-11, we look back at it now and think that we had it in hand and, and we were going to, you know, meaning the threat against the threat of jihadism and the war on terror at the time, folks, as we all can remember, if we think back to it, none of that was nearly as clear. And jihadism for a short period of time was a real threat to our way of life and will be again if we are not vigilant. And that includes vigilance against stupidity like what we see here from Scarborough. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourself because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Folks, I've seen how this goes. I have sat through an entire online presentation about how easy it is to steal your home's title. It is shockingly simple for the bad guys. All they need to do is get online replace you with an alias on your home's title and then they can borrow every penny that you have in your home's equity and leave you with the payments. They take out a loan on your home, folks. It is really bad stuff. But Home Title Lock has your back. It forms a virtual perimeter around your home's title. The instant someone tampers with it, they're on it and they help shut that nonsense down. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $100 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. And I think the convergence of that book in the anonymous uh, column, I mean, it's quite evident that President Trump, there's a coup. I mean, there's a coup like the same. There was a coup by uh, General McClellan and the senior leadership in the Union Army to try to thwart what Abraham Lincoln wanted to do in the Civil War. You have an exact type of coup right now. What was said in that anonymous letter was absolutely outrageous. And I think the president ought to take immediate and direct action to, uh, to find out who the conspirators are. I don't think there's any one author. 
I think there's an author that I think there's a dra- somebody that drafted it. There are many voices in there. I think you can tell the way it's written. Uh, I think it's a much broader conspiracy than people think. I think it's probably six to a dozen people. And I think you ought to immediately start to uh, do what Andrew Jackson did, or uh, do what Abraham Lincoln did. Find out who's responsible and fire him. Steve Bannon breathing fire on this issue of the hunt for Anon September, as we called it yesterday, but the hunt for the uh, anonymous editorialist or editorial contributor or whatever, uh, who has proven beyond any reasonable doubt that there is, in fact, a deep state, that that's what's going on here. And while the the effort was was made to try and make the deep state component of this sound like they're acting responsibly and ethically and that they're they're really doing something we should all be thankful for. At the end of the day, most folks who read this and were being honest with themselves said this is terrible um, for our government. And it's really actually very damaging for those who are quite anti-Trump because there's no more discussion, folks, whether there is a deep state. There is. The only questions are how large and how active is it? How much is it trying to undermine the president of the United States? I I just, you know, I want to put this in a context here. Imagine for a moment that there was a group of people at the FBI and the Department of Justice who had tried to open or had opened, rather, a criminal investigation of a sitting president under very, very dubious at best circumstances. Imagine that there were people who worked for the government who had been described as crying at their desks because they were so upset at the prospect of working for that president. And then somebody who is described as being a senior official in the actual White House said that the president was having his will thwarted by unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who think they know better than the president. Imagine all of that, which is what's going on right now, but the president is Obama. And just think for a moment, what would the reaction be in the press? If, if, if Put aside all the things that I just said. If you just had a solitary editorial, forget about all the Russia collusion stuff, everything else. If you had had one person in the White House who had published an editorial saying, I think Barack Obama is so incompetent that I uh, refuse to let him read documents that he should be able to read as president of the United States, that I I, uh, work to prevent his decision-making from being enacted. You know that the media would be screaming and freaking out over this in every possible way. And here we are, that's the reality with Donald Trump, and it's, on the one hand, the New York Times is is clearly very proud of itself. There's no question about that. They think that they've done some great service here. Uh, and, and on the other, I think my more recent revelation that they're not going to try to find this editorial uh, columnist, I, I think that's true. I think that they feel like it served its purpose, and that's that, and there's nothing else that they really need to spend any of their time or, or, or energy on. Um, and it's just crazy, folks. It's just crazy. I mean, you know, nothing in terms of finding out who wrote this thing. Uh, it, it is bizarre to me how self-satisfied the media is with this whole thing. But you got to remember that that the New York Times and others, they have to appeal to what you could say is the Maxine Waters 
viewpoint, the Maxine Waters wing of the uh, Democrat Party. And it sounds something like this. Play clip one. I wake up in the middle of the night and all I can think about is I'm going to get him. This deplorable, despicable human being that occupies the White House should not be there. We should not be comfortable with it. We should not think about how somebody else is going to deal with. This is all of our fight. And every day I say, I'm in this fight. They say, Maxine, please don't say impeachment anymore. And when they say that, I say impeachment, impeachment, someone who disrespects the Constitution, who disrespects human beings, period, who's self-centered, who does not care about the Constitution, who's alienated our allies, who's tied with Putin, won't condemn him, in bed with the oligarchs of Russia. If you cannot talk about impeachment, given what we have learned about him and the way that he's defined himself, then impeachment means nothing. Someone asked, but what about Pence? If you were able to impeach... Pence will be worse. And I said, look, one at a time. You knock one down, down, and then we'll be ready for Pence. We'll get him, too. You know, she's she's not alone in this thinking, folks. That's a pretty... All the things she said there, as much as I know you're here in Maxine Waters, she's like, Buck, why are you making me listen to this again? Because it's it's a pretty good overview of what Democrat thinking is right now. They're not making some big case about this. In, in fact, here... Uh, we got we got o- o- Obama himself saying that, uh, you know, y- you better you better bring back sanity to the country. Play clip two. There's a consequential moment in our history. Yeah, and the fact is that uh, if we don't step up, uh, things can get worse. Where there's a vacuum in our democracy, when we are not participating, we're not paying attention, when we're not stepping up, other voices fill the void. But the good news is, in two months, we have a chance to restore some sanity in our politics. What is insane exactly about our politics right now? That that Trump tweets things about how Jim Acosta acts like a clown at the at the White House? I mean, he does. What is there that is insane right now? I mean, that that's what a... Is it insane, like, insanely awesome, bro? Like, we've got the lowest unemployment rate. It's insane. They use these words, and they're trying to scare people, and they, they can't really point to anything. I keep getting this this uh, repetitive series of talking points from people, including conservatives who hate Trump, which, as you know, there are a lot of them. Uh, whether they're still conservatives or not, we can leave that discussion for another time. But they keep repeating the same things about, you know, Trump said this or he said that and I don't like this and I don't like that. And I sit there and I say to myself, this should not matter to me. Why do they think it's going to matter to me what they say about what Trump said? This is just punditry in place of policy. It's just offering up prognostications about the way the country is going, about the future of the country without saying what the real nuts and bolts shortcomings are and and i i sit here and i think to myself well okay they're they're saying things like the country's insane right now the country feels very sane to me what because we've had a lot of departures from the white house because trump doesn't necessarily always bring in the best people maybe he he sometimes puts too high a premium on loyalty over competence okay nobody's perfect i've never said trump is perfect and you know that i i don't i don't think he's perfect i think he is 
for his time and what he's trying to accomplish, remarkable. But that doesn't mean that I think everything he does is great. But I certainly don't think that he's crazy. Uh, <laughs> that brings up the whole 25th Amendment discussion. I don't buy that. I, I don't believe that our politics are insane right now. You know, I just think the Democrats really want to go back to an era when they could handle Republicans the way they handled Romney and McCain and, uh, you know, others before them, where it's just we're always on defense. We're always slowly losing. And they only say nice things about you while you're losing on an issue. And then once you've lost, they trash you again. That's how the left deals with Republicans. So and that's not that's not the game that I think we should be playing. That's not the way that we should be involved here. We've got much more team. Stay with me. We will experience power outages. We will have infrastructure damage. There will be homes damaged. There will be uh, uh, debris on the roads. Uh, this is a dangerous storm. This storm will and has the potential to uh, uh, cause loss of life. And uh, we cannot uh, you know, uh, uh, emphasize the importance uh, to take action now. I've received a briefing from Secretary Nielsen, Administrator Long, and my senior staff regarding Hurricane Florence and other tropical systems that will soon impact the United States and its territories. The safety of American people is my absolute highest priority. We are sparing no expense. Uh, we are totally prepared. We're ready. Uh, we're as ready as anybody's ever been. And uh, it looks to me and it looks to all of a lot of very talented people that do this for a living like this is going to be a storm that's going to be a very large one, far larger than we've seen in perhaps decades. I've spoken with the governors of South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. Uh, they're prepared. We're prepared. We're working very well in conjunction with the governors. So you've got this Category 4 hurricane, uh, Hurricane Florence, that is likely to uh, make landfall, what, in the next uh, 48 hours or so. People are expecting some massive flooding. I'm actually here in the path of this thing in, in the swamp in D.C., where I think flooding is going to be the primary concern. Mike, are, are we are we at the phase yet? Are, are people sure enough this is going to be bad that, you know, Whole Foods all of a sudden is uh, running out of, you know, bread on the shelves kind of thing? Are you seeing any of that stuff? Yeah, that's what they're telling everybody. Um, it's it's get out now. It's, um, you know, you have a great deal of obviously have a great deal of empathy for anybody in its pathway. But, you know, everything on the news I'm seeing right now is get out. Well, right. That's if you're in the direct pathway. But I even mean for, you know, people. Some I remember in New York City some years ago, remember there was Sandy, which was really. But right. Sandy was really bad because of the flooding. The actual storm didn't seem because I was in Manhattan when that happened. Didn't seem like it was quite that bad until you realize that the flooding and then the power outage that came from the flooding happened mm-hmm. uh in this one i think there'll be flooding and it's the the coast of the carolinas is going to get hammered but i assume the whole eastern seaboard is pretty much going to turn into one big wet mess yeah that's what it looks like uh they said it's uh slowing down and that that could mean more rain droppage in uh on, on the entire eastern seaboard what's by the way, where were you during sandy I was uh, I was here in New York. I was in uh, I was in Brooklyn. And John, was, where were you during yeah. Sandy? I was at home here in New York. And uh, did did you guys lose? Did you guys lose power? No, not me. Yeah, I lo- I feel like I got out. I escaped with nothing. I didn't lose power for a minute, and I didn't think it was that bad until I actually walked out. I, at the time, I lived near Prospect Park, 
And I'm, I walked out the next day and it was like, there was trees down everywhere. So I was in a building when that happened. I was a building in just north of Madison Square Park. And, and uh, at the time I was living just south of, of Madison Square Park, but I was staying with a, with a friend at the time. And uh, I was able to get up to the roof and see. And at one point, I remember going up there at night and you could see the whole southern part of Manhattan blacked out. And that was a really uh, just an eerie thing to see. Remember, at the time, people were all like, well, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. I mean, in the hindsight being 2020, everyone's like, well, you know, it wasn't going to be that bad. And, you know, they got the power back on pretty quickly. But when you have a, a big blackout like that in a city like New York City, it was it was pretty unnerving, man. And I remember the next morning, the night after the or the morning after the storm, which you know really hit hard at night. Uh, people were walking in droves. I mean, just just people walking north in Manhattan, looking. And they're all in the street, and it was like you could tell everybody had been through a rough night, and you know. Uh, and, and it was because they were looking for a, a power outlet to plug their phones into because, you know, we just take this for granted now. But if you don't have access to your phone, right, you think about your job and what you're going on, you feel very disconnected from everything that's going on. So all these people were just looking for outlets in the power zone to get to their phone. But I tell you, uh, Mike and, and John, it's civilization hangs by a pretty thin thread. You see <laughs> this in some of these in some of these disaster storm scenarios. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, well, anyway, we hope that everybody, you know, it's everyone's listening to this. I know we've got a lot of people in the Carolinas. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're in a zone, please, please, you know, heed the warning. It's it's always better to come back after the fact and feel like, you know, it it was uh, you were being overly cautious. I do remember. I forget what the storm was. There was another time when everybody in New York was filling their bathtubs full of water because they thought we weren't going to have any water. And that storm, it wasn't Sandy. It was a different storm. That storm was a com- totally nothing. I mean, I think it was that was like, Irene. Was it Irene? Yeah. John, you remember that, right? Ever? I mean, and there were stories about people getting into fights at grocery stores over food. And I mean, it was crazy and nothing happened. It's kind of amazing that, the, that at that stage and at that level of sophistication, the weather service could get something so wrong. But, you know, one thing that I found frustrating today, too, is you can tell there's some people that seem to be... Uh, waiting for this to turn into a a political a political thing you know if this is they they've already tried to make and i just had a a team from the hill come back from puerto rico where they were doing uh reporting on the ground there about the about the effort to rebuild and the media was was trying to push to make puerto rico trump's katrina that's been the big effort that's been what they've been saying all along but I mean, I spoke to the one delegate from Puerto Rico. Uh, Remember, they have somebody who's in Congress but doesn't have voting rights in Congress. So I spoke to their delegate, and she said, look, uh, you know, it's not that we were, yes, it was terrible, and the island was was really badly beat up, and the relief efforts couldn't get to us fast enough, but it wasn't that there was any malfeasance or recklessness on the part of the government. It's that they were prepared for, you know, like a category one or something. And it was a category four. I mean, it, it was they got hit really hard. Right. Um, so so that was a that was a big, you know, there was though there. You could tell they were setting up to make it. Oh, well, Trump, Trump fell asleep on the job here. No, actually, they they had preparations they made. On the, it just wasn't enough. The preparations weren't enough. Right. So in this case, I think flooding is the big thing. Everyone's and flooding and high winds, I think, are what I'm seeing. Yeah. So everybody needs to be very careful and stay away from that stuff.
that's my that's my sense of it. I wish I, I don't have much oh, that and also you're going to see a lot of discussion of how this is about climate change. It's like clockwork. Yeah, it's like it's climate change. And even if the storm doesn't because it can change very quickly. And if we had somebody who actually understood, you know, atmospheric and oceanic pressure and all that stuff, I, I don't know about any of that stuff. They could explain to you how it happens. You know, once it makes landfall, the storm starts to run out of energy very quickly. But it could it could slow down considerably before then. But I guarantee you, just because there's so much attention on the issue right now, there will be people probably from Vox.com and others who jump to see climate change. You know, once again, it turns into a climate change story. It's it's always if if the storm is huge, it yeah. proves climate change. If the storm is not a big deal at all, well, it's an opportunity to talk about how the next storm will be huge because of climate change. These people, it's. Their their belief, because it is like a religious belief for them, it, it is unfalsifiable. They do not care uh, what the you know what's going to happen. And uh, I, I am hearing, by the way, this is just an aside, that my sources here in D.C. are telling me that there's going to be a big announcement from the White House that has to do with the uh, classified information and the FISA requests and Carter Page. I, I'm hearing that this is going to happen. And it's probably going to happen next week. And one of the reasons that it has been put off is because President Trump wants to make sure that the focus right now is on this storm, that the federal government, all of its efforts that should be focused on the storm are, and that nobody can make the claim that there was any kind of, you know, taking uh, taking an eye off the ball here. And because if the people, if there's misery and all that, they... They will turn that immediately, no matter how much it's really Mother Nature's fault. They'll turn it into an opportunity to try to try to bash Trump. But but I I am hearing that you're going to see a big announcement, a big release of information from the White House. And and look, this is kind of a a version of the October surprise, but it's an October surprise from the good guys. In this case, it would be that we would finally get the information that we need finally get access to the the data uh or in this case i guess the words about what really was the basis for the fisa warrant against carter page if it's as bad as everyone i know is saying if it's as bad as we have been led to believe think about what this could do going into the midterms i mean it would just prove to everybody that there was a a very real effort to try and and take down the trump administration so anyway that that is as it should be, that is taking a far back seat to right now to making sure everybody's safe and gets out of the path of this of of Hurricane Florence. By the way, if we if any of you are able to listen and call in tomorrow who are in the Carolinas, we'll want to hear from you for sure and know how it's going, how you're doing. So we got more show coming up, team. Stay with me. You can't repeal history. And almost every election, two years into any new administration, the party of the presidency loses seats. They don't always lose the body, but almost always loses seats. And so we know this is going to be a very challenging election. On the Senate side, I'll just list you a a bunch of races that are dead even. Arizona, Nevada, Tennessee, Montana, North Dakota, Missouri, Indiana, West Virginia, and Florida. All of them too close to call, and every one of them um, like a knife fight in an alley, I mean, just a brawl in every one of those uh, places. 
I hope when the smoke clears that we'll still have a majority in the Senate. And this is a really big one for the group. The NFIB is out with its monthly read on optimism, showing a new all-time high for the month of August of 108.8. This is nearly a one-point increase from last month. This also breaks the previous record of 108 set back in 1983. This is optimism for the full year. It's holding well above the index's historical average of 98. The biggest gains this month contributing to the jump were plans to increase inventories, plans to make capital outlays, and plans to increase employment. So someone needs to uh, explain to the left, dare I say to the haters out there, how it is that this is the, quote, Obama economy that we're enjoying right now. Meanwhile, we are setting records that stretch back to the Reagan administration on things like the Small Business Optimism Index. I need somebody to look me in the eye and explain to me why is it that we are setting all-time records when it comes to unemployment in uh, having such low unemployment in minority communities. Folks, they have no answer for this. You know, I didn't spend a lot of time today talking to you about the midterms because, trust me, once we get into October, it's going to be all midterms all the time, at least in the news cycle. I mean, I'm not going to be like that. We got we got other things to focus on, too. Uh, but they they have no answer on the economy. It's if there's any X factor here that could lead to a different a different end result in the midterms than what we've been led to believe, which is essentially that it's all over for uh, for Republicans in the House, that they're going to lose the majority. No question about it. And and this is the way it's going to go. Um, I, I just think that they have not made a compelling case to the American people about this. And and Trump hatred is just not enough. It's enough for uh, the loony left. It's enough for people that just despise Trump no matter no matter what. But that's not enough of the country. You know, I, I saw these polls today. Oh, my gosh. These polls are so they're, they're so useless. There's a poll out about, you know, how 31 percent of Americans think Trump is is honest. And I look at this and they do this with this whole ha ha. But look at this time. Trump didn't tell the truth. Or look at that time. Trump didn't tell the truth. And this is just a waste of everyone's time, because the people who think that Trump is honest mean that he's honest about what matters. Nobody is uh, completely in the dark about how Trump has a braggadocious quality, how, how he has perhaps a a tad of a, of a hyperbolic streak when he talks about things. He can be loose with language. We all get that. Uh, but the media runs these polls. Uh, they run these polls about things like, you know, what not just your support for Trump, but also, you know, what do you think of Trump's trustworthiness and how do you think is, he's handling this issue or that issue to try and put a number on their case, which is that Trump is unpopular and he's not doing a good job and, and all the rest of it. And it's just... I think that it's not going to work the way they think it is. Uh, my belief is that a lot of folks, especially if you're in the kind of now it's base, all midterms are all about base turnout. And I, I get all that stuff in the conventional wisdom. But if, if anyone's showing up to the polls and they're like, you know, I, I haven't yet figured out, you know, if I'm happy with uh, my particular representative or not. So I, I'm going to vote party line. They're going to look at what's going on in the country right now, and they're going to find all these different reasons why the economy is so strong that probably worth just riding this out a little bit more. And I've been saying this. My, my feeling is that Trump is essentially politically invulnerable unless or until 
uh, there is a major recession. When we see a major pullback in the markets, when, when all of a sudden people have a drop of 30% in the stock market, their 401ks uh, have gotten hammered, and you see a big, big push in or a big spike in unemployment, then a lot of these other criticisms matter. But things like, do you think Trump is honest? I just don't believe the American people are going to focus in enough on that one that it makes any difference really in in the midterms. And and beyond that, you have each individual candidate running their own race. And the Democrats, I I can say this for them, they've uh, at least noticed that they probably shouldn't run far left candidates in places like uh, like Texas. They shouldn't run far left candidates in places where they're going to have to work really hard to fool some Americans who are kind of in the center and to think the Democrats in their center because they're not. Democrats are party of of the extreme uh, left now. At least that's ideologically where they are. And they they vote in lockstep, folks. So just because somebody who's a Democrat shows up and starts saying, you know, well, I like guns and I like hunting. And, you know, in some cases they'll say, you know, I'm a veteran. And you're like, OK, well, sounds kind of Republican to me, but I guess you're a Democrat. I'll vote for you. Keep in mind that that Democrat who likes guns in the Second Amendment and is pro-union and likes the military is going to vote with Nancy Pelosi on basically everything. So that's what people need to remember. That's the message that has to that has to get through. Uh, By the way, coming up, we've got a a great third hour. I'm going to talk to you about the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. I watched the whole season. I ripped through it. Molly and I watched it together. Uh, And then we'll have right after that. A, a real door-kicking superhero, Sean Parnell, will be joining us. Sean Parnell's got a new book out. We'll talk to you about that and just spend some time hanging with Sean because we always like it when he comes by the Freedom Hut. And uh, then how did the Miss America pageant work out without uh, the swimsuit competition? I'm going to do a very thorough, deep-dive analysis of the no-swimsuit Miss America situation coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I can't go to Yemen. I'm an analyst. I don't interrogate people. I write reports. Get on the plane. We gotta figure out a way to get inside his head. Musa bin Sleiman is my husband. He don't know where I am. My son is with him. Is he planning something here? Paris was only the beginning. Just follow along. Watch and learn. We have to chase this down. My son. Get him back. Promise me. I can't go to Yemen. I'm an analyst. I write reports. Ah, yes. Brings back memories. So that's from the new Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime, which many of you have been asking me about, brought to my attention and emailing about and and such. And I got to tell you that uh, I like it. I think it's good. I think that they did a good job. There's some stuff that's a little perfunctory and uh, the writing is a little too cute in some places in terms of the storyline. I'll give you my my full sense of it. I mean, it's entertaining. 
It's well done. The production values are good. It moves quickly. So I really like it. I'd probably give it an A minus. The language that they use and the terminology and the way they talk about things, a lot of the Uh, the different acronyms that come up. Uh, They did their research. Uh, They actually use real lingo and, and look, not all of it, but, but a a fair amount of it, which I like because it's just laziness for a lot of writers, a lot of writers uh, otherwise. And I I like the scene where he says, we're not agents, we're officers, meaning, you know, people say CIA agent. That's always the big tell for us, especially when somebody says, you know, well, my, my uncle was a former CIA agent. It's like, well, if you really knew him, and if he really was one, he would have told you it's CIA officer. It is. It is not a. You're a CIA agent if you are an an asset being run by a CIA officer, a one who works for a CIA officer in getting espionage uh, information. So you know that that's a, an important distinction that they make. I mean, there's a lot of things that are good. Look, John John uh, Krasinski is a very charismatic leading guy who would have thought Jim from the office, you know, you put on 20 pounds of muscle and uh, all of a sudden he's an action hero. It's kind of like the other guy that I really like from Parks and Rec who also, what's his name? Pratt, Chris Pratt, who put on a whole bunch of muscle. And now he's an action star too, man. I wish I could take off six months and just, just work out, eat chicken breast and cruciferous vegetables all day and then just see what happens. That'd be fun. But I don't think I've got that in the schedule anytime soon. I barely have time to sleep. Uh, but Jack Ryan, back to the show, some of the things I liked, it's contemporary. So it's kind of the Jack Ryan architecture set up by Tom Clancy in terms of characters and basic storyline fast forwarded to today. So you've got ISIS and Syria and Yemen and the uh, Muslim suburbs of Paris. And, you know, there's just there's a lot of stuff they work into that's good. There's some good footage of Langley in it. Uh, I like that. Uh, Krasinski lives in Georgetown. Look, I, I can't help but feel a little nostalgic. I watched this show, and it's about a CIA analyst, and he lives in Georgetown, and he works on Mideast issues. And I think at one point he walks into the CTC, or he's working with CTC. Well, I was a CIA analyst in CTC who lived in Georgetown. So now uh, I, I did not get airlifted by the Coast Guard from a fancy party on the Maryland shore in front of my soon-to-be girlfriend. Nothing that cool happened to me. Uh, But I was in the room in some big briefing rooms full of a lot of uh, big honchos in the intelligence community overall. Uh, I did sit down with uh, Director Mike Hayden at different times and and brief him on things. And so so it just brought back some memories. Um, I would really be curious to hear from some friends in the special operations community, what they think of the scenes where they use uh, JSOC guys or when they are playing JSOC guys, I should say, uh, to do different raids and and the military uh, component of it. I mean, on the if I'm going to analyze how realistic the analyst stuff is, the basics of it are correct in that, yeah, you look at, you know, look at phone records and email records and it's a lot of investigative work. Uh, it does not move, of course, anywhere near the universe of us, you know, as quickly as it does in the show. Krasinski sits there and he goes, you know what? And he all of a sudden just knows the whole plan. I mean, look, you got to suspend disbelief with these things. If they made a show about being a CIA analyst that was real, it would involve a lot of uh, long, arduous treks to the Starbucks 
You know, it, it's not what people think that it is. There's some other cool stuff. You know, there's some undisclosed locations and things where you get to do some really interesting training and other stuff. But, you know, overall, I think that it's it's a good series, a good show. And here's the big part of it, the part of it that I think a lot of you will really like if you haven't seen it already. Uh, it, it was advertised to me because I saw this making the rounds on social media as, oh, this is a show that celebrates toxic masculinity and white male privilege. And I was like, sold. Sign me up. This sounds great. You know, we're not going to have to watch a show that is constantly jamming some kind of an agenda down our throats. You know, I, I really don't need a show about a uh, a, a trisexual, uh, you know, n- non-gender binary Eskimo who, ha- I'm sorry, Inuit who happens to be a super special covert agent or something who also knows lots of karate. Uh, I don't need that. I, I just want, I just want good characters, and I also would like the recognition of the reality that America is in right now, which is that some of our most dangerous and implacable foes are, in fact, uh, jihadists. That doesn't mean that we're at war with the Muslim world. All that stuff still applies, of course. It's it's embarrassing that we feel the need to say that, but you know, if Media Matters is listening to this, I got to make sure that I, I cover myself. Uh, because we all know that already, and we have many Muslim allies in that fight. But, you know, radical Islam is a real threat, a real danger to us. And at least so far in this show on Amazon Prime, the Jack Ryan show, they do not uh, go down the road of, well, the real threat isn't jihadists. It's, you know, white nationalists who have overtaken the U.S. government or something. It's You see so much of this from Hollywood, and it's just annoying, and it doesn't resonate with us. Because when you're worried about a biochem weapon going off, biological or chemical weapon going off somewhere, the chances are that you think it's going to be from a guy who's going to yell Allahu Akbar right before he detonates it. Like, that's just reality. And our art, in this case, you know, our entertainment with a show like this should reflect at some level what our, our reality is. It just makes it a much more interesting and enjoyable experience. By the way, the, the character who's kind of the the well, he's really a supervisor. I was going to say the right hand, but the the buddy cop element of the show, and it's obviously a CIA show, not a cop show. Uh, but that actor who plays, he's the uh, the black uh, kind of grizzled veteran supervisor of Krasinski's character is Bunk from The Wire. For those of you who are fans of The Wire, so that's kind of fun for me because uh, I re- I really enjoyed that show. But you know the Jack Ryan show is good, and it's just going. To, it just goes to show, folks, with all of the different espionage thrillers and all that. It, you know, you just need a story that is compelling with good characters, where there's good guys and bad guys, and stuff happens, and you care. It does. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to execute on the straightforward aspects, on on the straightforward elements of good story and good storytelling. And I think that the Amazon Prime show pretty much does that. If you have any specific questions, by the way, about something that you think is, well, if you want to ask me if something is real or how, you know, I'm happy to tell you, you know, my my sense of it. Uh, but just understand this. You would not go from being analyst to field operative to, which they refer to as case officers, which is the proper terminology, to uh, interrogator, back to and then essentially door kicker, you know, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. That's, you don't get to cover all that ground. 
Uh, but if you have any other questions about it, I, if I can answer it, I will. If I can, I'll just tell you, you can neither confirm nor deny. Um, but I will recommend that any of you that have the chance, if you if you have Amazon Prime or if you thought about watching it, two thumbs way up. I really thought it was a good series. I'm looking forward to the next. I hope they make a next season of it. Uh, Krasinski was was pretty excellent. I thought you know he's a very charming actor. And I okay now my one criticism. I don't know her name, but I don't like the female lead. I just don't. I think she's a little. I don't know, there's something vaguely European about, maybe she is a European actress, but it just, it doesn't strike me as a good, I don't like the chemistry between the two leads. It just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me, but I'm, I'm very picky about these things. <laughs> you always, you always do this. Yep. You welcome like welcome back, me. everybody. We, we got with us a special guest. I wanted to get him, you know, on the hot seat right away. We have with us the one, the only, Sean Parnell, everybody. You know we all love Sean. Sean is a former Army Ranger, author of one of my favorite, and I'm going to give him a swelled head, although he doesn't need any help today because everyone's just, everyone just wants to tell Sean how awesome he is. <laughs> but one of my favorite military memoirs of all time, which is Outlaw Platoon, which I have read uh, cover to cover, or I guess Kindle start to finish. Uh, he's the author of Outlaw Platoon, but he has a new book, and we are lucky enough to have him joining us today to discuss it. Uh, Man of War, which is a novel, and and we have Sean on. Sean, great great to have you. I just want to ask you first, what's it like uh, to basically have all of all of the elite news media fight over your time and want to talk to you about your novel? You realize not, how you realize how rare this is. That's right? not a thing. That's not. That's I don't. I don't know why people. Or like me or support me, but that's not. You're exaggerating. That's not Fa how this famous is. famous news anchors and and correspondents and and multimillionaires are like. I, I need me some Sean Parnell. Nah. I want to talk about. <laughs> no way. I want to talk about Man of War. So so we, let, let, let's do that for a moment before we we okay. get into the the latest of uh of of your exploits out on the West Coast and and selling the rights <laughs> the movie rights to all this. Okay. Tell us a bit, Sean, about Man of War. Yeah, okay, so uh, Man of War, uh, you know I joined to serve the military uh, after 9-11, you know, and I was inspired to join the military after witnessing the sacrifice of so many great Americans who, instead of running away from the flames, ran into the flames to try to save people that they didn't even know. And, you know, I remember sitting there, I was a college kid, and I remember nursing, I was nursing a pretty terrible hangover that morning, um, and I just remember thinking, how can I sit here and do nothing when ordinary Americans are sacrificing everything in many cases for people that they didn't even know? And so I that in that moment, I, I decided to, to serve my country. You know, I mean, I think all of us are presented with moments in our life where we have such tremendous clarity in, in the wake of the most horrific terrorist attack on our nation's history that I had clarity. And it was, you know, I wanted to join the military, serve something greater than myself get in the fight against the people that attacked us on September 11th and be on the front lines. And I, yeah, I got my opportunity to do that. I went to war for 485 days and I came back. Uh, a lot of my guys were wounded, some of which came home in body bags and flag draped coffins. And I remember there was one profound moment where I was, I was reflecting on uh, looking at one of the graves of my soldiers. And I said, you know what? Like, I have got to live a life worthy of, of their sacrifice and earn it every single day. And so writing a novel for me was always a bucket list item. Uh, but one of the things that, that I wanted to make sure that I, I that came through in this book was to making sure that my main character, Eric Steele, embodied the greatness of what it means to be an American and the greatness of the American warrior ethos and, you know, the selflessness 
the heroism, the the loyalty, the duty, respect, and honor that every single person that ran into the flames that day on 9-11 exhibited. I wanted to make sure it was crammed all in my main character. And Eric Steele is that guy. He's the main character in Man of War. He's a franchise character. You'll see a book from him every year. Uh, but he is a mainstream fiction character that loves America uh, and believes it's worth fighting for and worth dying for because I just I think it's important that our kids have mainstream fiction characters to look up to in this country and aspire to be like. Well, I just hope that in in Eric Steele's uh, trials and travails or and travels and tribulations, I don't know why I keep stumbling <laughs> over this word. Always with the T that, words, the T yeah, words, the T words. If if you have any any room for a a a, a cynical CIA analyst named Buck Sexton, <laughs> you throw him in there, baby. Because if Eric Steele, if he needs somebody to tell him where the best place is to get a latte in South Asia, let me tell you. <laughs> CIA analyst Buck has got Eric hey, Steele's back. Hey man, you know what? You know what? I think I might be able to make that happen in book two. There I think we I'm, go. I think I might. I think I can do it. You know, one of the one of the main characters in my book. Don't tease me. This is like offering to name your firstborn after me, Sean. It's write not me like novels. it's oh, slow your roll, Buck. It's not that. It's not like that. But I th- I think it's actually that's a pretty awesome idea. You know, so one of my main characters in this book is an ex CIA analyst. It's a, it's a woman. Uh, she's a female protagonist, and she's she's just she's awesome in every way. Uh, but I think that there could be a very easy way to tie Buck, the CIA analyst, into the story. And he's going to have a big head, you know, a physically, physically big head. Um, of course. And he's going to be a little dorky with a really deep, awesome radio voice. Exactly. And, and by the way, when, when they don't have a, a charge <laughs> to do a breach properly, they can just use that head like Bonk from Bonk's Adventure. Yeah. Just knock that puppy right down, man. That's that's what the it's like a battering ram. Up Who top, needs the ballistic breach? Who needs C4 when they have Buck Sexton's head? Exactly. That's all you need. <laughs> so so Man of War is out today. People can get it on Amazon. They can get it on Kindle. Uh, yes. What's some of the stuff you got planned, by the way? Because you know you're you're getting. I really do mean this, man. So few people get other people to be happy for them when they have a book that comes out or something. In the way that I'm seeing with you, people just want your book to succeed, Sean Thanks. Parnell. Thanks. When are you gonna run for office? By the way, never. Everybody loves Sean. Never, but I, never, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You know, I think there there's something in this in this literary world uh, or public figure world where. It's a zero sum game for a lot of people. Like the idea that just because, you know, Buck Sexton is successful, it means that I can't be successful. And so a lot of people in the media and a lot of people in the literary world and public figure space are constantly trying to cut your knees out from under you to make sure that they're that they climb that ladder first. And and, and I'm here to tell you that I, I have an, a, a very different view on that. I, I'm a I believe that you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. If and you know, a guy that buys Brad Thor's thriller does not mean that he's not going to buy my thriller. In By fact, the way, my my experience with Brad Thor is that he's actually always a very generous, and encouraging guy. Right, yeah. right. I, and you know, I'm just saying, though, Buck. No, that, I, like, I. But I know that's why your mind went no, to it because yeah, he's Brad's amazing. Actually, a, he's, a really good guy. In fact, I try to structure and, and write my stories just like Brad does because he's been such an inspiration to me. But, but like, the, in fact, but my point was, Buck, is that like. If someone buys Brad Thor's book and reads Brad Thor's book, it makes it more likely for them to buy my book. So there's no need to compete. This is not a zero-sum game. A rising tide lifts all ships. And so for the last six years since Outlaw Platoon came out, Buck, I have really dedicated my life to try to help people to get their stories told, lend a helping hand anywhere that I can. And so I hope that the support that I'm receiving right now in Man of War from some mainstream media outlets and people – 
comes from them recognizing that and, and the help that I've given Just them when in the you're, past. When you're rolling down Sunset Boulevard <laughs> out in L.A. In, in a Lamborghini, I just want you to remember when Man of War is going into season three of syndication uh, with Netflix, <laughs> just remember who your friends were, Sean, Fuck. in the early days. So you can, hook us, you can hook us up with a consulting gig to be on set to look cool for our significant others and, and whoever else is there. Let's be, come on. You know I'm going to be rolling down Sunset in a Lamborghini. It's going to be an old 1997 Ford F-150. Okay? <laughs> there we go. And, and I will, you know, you'll be you'll be in the bed of the truck, right? That's you know, what getting I'm talking ready to about. play the Ma- CIA analyst on the show. That's right. I was going to say manning the 50 cal or the cappuccino They'd machine. have to have a special camera to capture your head, but you That's could true. be on the show. That is, that is it'd be worth every. Accurate. It'd be worth every penny. To have All right, you everybody. <laughs> you, you, you've heard the man himself, Sean Parnell, Man of War. I'm buying it. You should buy it. It's on Amazon, uh, on Kindle. But get the hard copy. Get the full. Get the full shebang if you can. Sean Parnell, former Army Ranger, author, good friend. Great to have you on, sir. Buck, thanks so much, man. I really do appreciate your friendship. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. Best of luck with the book. Okay. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should. Uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much, South Carolina. <laughs> uh, oh, it never gets old, folks. It never gets old. I know it was a long time ago. I know it's not necessarily representative of all pageants and all the rest of it, but Come on, it was amazing. I, I might have said this even on this show before, but really my, my favorite part of the whole thing is, is when Mario Lopez, whom I remember well from being A.C. Slater in his Saved by the Bell days, but when Mario Lopez goes, thank you very much, in this very solicitous tone, <laughs> after she's been like, you know, the education like such as South Africa and the Iraq and like such as, oh man, you know, it, it is possible, especially... Uh, when I'm doing really long days, I've had the experience before of being on live TV and for a moment, and it's a momentary panic where you realize that you've kind of lost your train of thought and you need words right away and you don't want to do the, uh, or you don't want to start, yeah, blah, 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 you know, start just kind of babbling something. She got a little caught up there, uh, but she, look, she rebounded. Why am I telling you about beauty pageants other than Some of you accuse me of having some kind of expertise in these matters. I do not claim to have any beauty pageant expertise. I do not think that the celebration of superficiality is something that we should all uh, push for even more. But I also recognize that in life, look, it's life is unfair. You know, I wish I were 6'4". I wish a lot of things. And I wish that people weren't judged at all, at all, at all on whether they are considered attractive. But that's not reality unfortunately uh, and i think that everybody should you know make the most of we should all make the most of our appearance i mean we all have the choice to make the most of, of what god gave us and i think that that's a po- i think that's a positive message I, I it reminds me also of you know one of my more i don't think it's a radical theory 
But all this stuff you see about fitness and the fitness industry is premised on people, you know, everybody can have a six pack and look like some kind of Adonis. Or if you're a lady, you know, you can look like some kind of swimsuit model or something. And genetics plays a huge role in all this stuff, folks. Everyone that I know who's really smart on the subject of uh, fitness and health will tell you that, yes, I mean, you should all we should all strive to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Uh, But genetics plays a big role. And some people do have a different metabolism than others. Some people uh, put on muscle more easily than others and, and so on and so forth. But back to beauty, Pat, I just feel like people should be told that instead of, you know, when I was in grammar school, it was like lift some free weights and you'll look like Schwarzenegger if you're dedicated enough. No, there's really a there's a a genetic advantage that some people have in terms of their body types and how quickly they put on muscle and all the rest of it. So on to beauty pageants, Uh, the Miss America 2019 beauty pageant happened and it was, you know, you got Gretchen Carlson, whom I find pretty annoying. Uh, just in general, but she's out there as she's like the head of the Miss America pageant now. And they decided because we're in the era of me too, to get rid of the swimsuit portion of the Miss America pageant, which I know producer Mike very much opposed to this one. Me, because I'm a 21st century man. I I know enough to just try to not comment on this because I just get myself in trouble. But producer Mike is fearless. He has no problem with saying that he he thought that the from a business perspective, keeping the uh, swimsuit competition in the beauty pageant was probably a good idea. Turns out that there was a 23% drop in ratings from last year's broadcast. And if you look in the demo, which is all that advertisers care about, so that's people 22 to 54 or 55, whatever it is. Uh, if you look in the demo, it was down almost 40%, which from a rating standpoint is pretty much catastrophic. Now, I, here's my thing. Um, I, I just, I understand the arguments for and against beauty pageants. I understand that it sends a bad message to women that they're judging their appearance. But I would just note that men are judged on their appearance too in a lot of different ways. Not to the same extent as women. I'm not, you know, I know our you know, the world is a cruel place and it's unfair and all that. Uh, but we're all superficially judged in a lot of ways. For men, a lot of the superficial judgment revolves around the size of our bank accounts. And that's, like that has anything to do with, you know, how good or worthy of a person you are. But people would say, well, it has to do with how good of a provider you are. And I say, ah. You know, a lot of guys inherit a lot of money. It doesn't mean that they're a good provider. It just means they're good at providing for someone what somebody else provided for them. Uh, So there are a lot of ways to slice this down. But here's my thing, my my simple sense of all this, uh, without getting into too many jokes about how the Miss America pageant without the swimsuits is just like watching a bunch of third tier uh, pundits get on a stage in evening gowns. Um, I just say this. We should all be honest about what it is that we're doing, what it is that we're seeing, and what we're supporting. A beauty pageant is inherently superficial. It's about physical beauty. You can add some other things into it, but first and foremost, it is about physical beauty. And we should either say, okay, that's what we're going to be judging here with some other factors, or we should find something else to call it. I I just always prefer honesty about these things, and I wish that People wouldn't dance around the subject matter in quite the same way. So maybe it's time to put pageants away or it's time to just say, you know what? We're going to be superficial in this endeavor 
you know, and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, otherwise, you just have huge ratings drops and people all make fun of it as they should. We got roll call up next. Stay with me. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. All right, roll call time, everybody. Wanted to get into it right away. Let's do it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you wish to be included. Um, we have Erica who writes, I listened to your uh, podcast on Monday, but Monday evening radio show isn't appearing in the available episodes list. Um, Erica, we are going to make sure that the full episode, that the full radio show episode is up in the feed. So just look for the Buck Sexton show and we might uh, we, we're tweaking some things, but it's going to be up. we're going to put up the full show because I everybody. Whoa, everybody wants the full show. They do not want a, a partial. <laughs> you not want a partial show in, in the feed. So we're going to figure out a way to do that. Um, it might mean that you have an early kind of sneak peek of some of the show and then the full show later on. But we're going to go with the full show up there. So just if you're used to listening to the uh, podcast, folks. Listen to it. Uh, just, just do it. What do it exactly? What you've been doing, and just look for it a little earlier. We're going to try to at least get the podcast up earlier on in the day, as early as we can. Uh, Jason writes. Um, so we're not going to get the three-hour show. Okay, no, no, Jason. Same thing. Same thing. We are. We're we're making sure that the full podcast is up. I see. I ask for feedback. I get feedback. Uh, there we go. Um, Cheryl writes, Hi, Buck. You keep me sane in California about the female form of brethren from EnglishForStudents.com. There is a word sistren, though it has a somewhat different history from its male parallel. Both words were used in Middle English, 12th to 15th centuries, simply as the plural forms of brother and sister. From about 1600, brothers began to take over from brethren... Shakespeare used both, except in referring to fellow members of a religious community or a society or or profession. Even this use now is rather archaic, uh, although such groups as the Plymouth Brethren keep it in use. Sistren, meanwhile, had fallen completely out of use by the middle of the 16th century, but it has been revived and used almost exclusively by feminist writers. Oh, Cheryl, very interesting. Thank you for your take on that and uh yes indeed i will certainly i will certainly uh add that into the memory banks here uh, sistren yeah i'd never hear anybody use the term sistren um, but i do remember in pcu i think it's the womenists spelled w-o-m-y-n-i-s-t-s michael writes i actually clicked on i accidentally clicked on rachel maddow's show last night she was talking about the trump fisa declassification saying he was doing it to cloud up the Russia investigation. Then she cited the great accomplishments of Bruce Orr in the DOJ. It's a different world there. Michael, it absolutely is. They believe what they want to believe over at MSNBC, and they like to think that the president of the United States is a traitor, that he has done terrible things, and that we should all be uh, outraged about it. Uh, I'm here to tell you that they're wrong and a lot of them are lying and you really can't make a good faith case anymore about the Russia collusion investigation. I mean, it, it is a it is a sham. It is a scam. Uh, it should not have 
happened. It just flatly should not have been something that occurred. But uh, here we are. Lisa writes, Shields High Buck, I don't mind the new format, but I love my three hours a day. Um, Lisa, we're going back. We're going back. So the podcast, even if you get an early sneak peek throughout the day, the podcast will be in full three-hour format. So don't worry about that. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. But do me a favor. Spread it around. We got to... Guys, I can tell you this right now. I just checked today. In... What is it now? In uh, less than a year, I think it's about... In, in Over the course of 10 months, we have doubled just the... Po- doubled the podcast size of a uh, of, of podcast audience for this show. And I came into it bringing off... Bringing along with me a substantial podcast crew from the Blaze Radio days, because it was all digital. So your efforts really, really do help. But whenever you tell somebody about this show, I mean, there are two things. Look, this is a little bit of a shameless plug, but hey, commerce, baby. There are two things you can do that really help me out, and it's in all of your power to do it. Uh, Number one is anytime I do a call out for a product, check it out. At least go to the URL for our sponsors. They're really partners with the show. By the way, some of you in the past have said, uh, that you didn't like uh, or, you know, that there was a sponsor here or there very early on in the show's history. I want you to know, I take that into account, and there have been a couple of cases where I've said I, I, I'm not going to work with a particular product uh, going forward because my audience didn't like it. The people that I sponsor with, I know them, or rather that sponsor this show that I partner with, I know them, I, I like their product, I use their product, and it matters to me. So whenever you can, if you buy one of those products, or at least go check it out on the URL that I call out. That helps. But the easier way for a lot of you, um, or rather the the completely cost-free way, you don't have to buy anything, is just to tell somebody, hey, check out this guy. Go on iTunes and check out the Buck Sexton show. Uh, you know, I don't have a PR budget. I, you are my PR budget, so to speak. You guys are my eyes and ears out there in the rest of the world. And, you know, nothing makes me happier than when I get a message from somebody who's downrange, who's like, hey, I got... I got ten of my buddies in my unit to listen to your podcast, and now now they're they're constantly you know they're downloading it every day. Like there's honestly that I get messages like that on a fairly regular basis, and I'm being serious with you guys. It makes my day. Like I could be having a terrible day, you know, a little bit of a squabble with Miss Molly over something dumb or whatever it may be, right? I could be dealing with all kinds of nonsense from libs who are saying crazy things to me because of the show Rising that I do. Uh, and as long as I get one of those emails from somebody in Team Buck, it makes everything, every little thing going to be all right. Um, so thank you all for that. And uh, with that little digression, John writes, hey, Buck, um, I, okay, another one about the the full episode. It's full episodes. It's full episodes. I brought, don't worry. We're, we're back. We're back. It was just one day. It was just one day. Uh, it was just one day. Alan. Right. Hey, Buck, I love the new format. Um, Okay, another one. All right, guys, the people have spoken. I swear, the people have spoken. It will be the full show every day in the podcast stream. That was, this is, but this is why when I ask you for feedback, I really mean it. And that's why I go into my inbox and I read what you have to say. And, you know, you guys make, and gals, of course, make the show what it is. I mean, you are my, uh, my, my not my focus group you're you're the team i mean this is the team you got to tell me you know what you think needs to happen um melissa writes oh more on the pot pretty much every message i'm I'm trying to find message that's not about the podcast and how you guys want the full podcast up uh karen writes buck i think you should have called your new show buck naked and my husband and i would both love a shirt or two 
but since he has a dad bod and I have an old lady bod, there's no size extra large. Are you getting some more in? We'd love to advertise for you and show our support. Can you look into that? Karen, I can look into it, and I'll tell producer Mike to, to look into it quite a bit. I, I'm a little behind in terms of... How do I, uh, how do I put this? I'm a little behind in terms of merch right now. It's on my list. I'm, it's behind getting another Shields High out. I mean, Malta is probably my among my favorites. Lepanto is number one. Malta is number two. And Malta is the one that's next in the queue for me to do. Uh, it's just a time and energy issue. So, uh, And t-shirts. I want to do more t-shirts. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, but Karen, and obviously there should be XL. You know, I, I like I like having a, a wide range of sizes because you know people like to be comfy in their t-shirt you know if a t-shirt's not comfy it's not a t-shirt as far as i'm concerned it's a commie shirt hannah writes dude it worried me that you hadn't heard of joe versus the volcano it shattered me when you brushed it off you have to watch it it is pinnacle in nerd culture just saying bet you haven't seen cabin boy either hannah i have no idea what joe versus the volcano is and no idea what cabin boy is so you have exposed a, a flaw in my pop culture knowledge. Um, so there you have it. Uh, I will have to check this out. Paige writes, is this where we can send topic requests? Yes, it is, Paige. If so, can you cover South Africa and retell that story about a ship captain who claimed the privilege of being American? I really can't remember more of it, so uh, I'm sorry. I've also got my husband, Darren, hooked on your podcast. Paige, see? Paige just made my day, everybody. She got somebody else, in this case, her husband, to start listening to the show. If everybody listening to this right now got one other person to listen to the show, you know, I I would be, you know, well on my way to Uncle Rush Limbaugh's pool house or something. You know, I mean, I, I, that's the my, my budget would be getting bigger for the show. Um, and so please do tell somebody about this when when you get a chance. And it does it does really help. It does really matter. And um, the ship captain is uh, the about the uh, USS Ingram, and I will tell that story another time. And so, thank you for the reminder. And on South Africa, I've done a little bit of research on this page. Let me look into it some more, and I'll come back to it. That's going to be it for today, friends. The whole show is up on podcast. Be sure you tell everybody about it. See you next time. Shield tie. Folks, I just don't trust the left-wing people in charge of the major social media platforms to allow discussion to continue unfettered. You know that as a conservative, your values, your point of view is not getting a fair hearing on a lot of social sites these days because of the algorithms and all the stuff going on behind the scenes. Don't let yourself be silenced. Your voice, your opinion is important. There's a place now where you can go and share thoughts, photos, anything you've got on mind. And it doesn't have any of the bias or agenda that these other social platforms do. Snippy.com. You can go on Snippy.com, as I have, set up a profile. It's completely free. And just start interacting. You can follow topics or people that you find to be of note. You can share, exchange information. No left-wing bias. No partisan algorithms. No nonsense from the progressives. Snippy.com. And also download the app for Snippy.com.